Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So yeah, I'm not in my basement in my typical video studio. I'm actually, this is my living room and um, I'm all set up to do a full day video shoot for the reboot resume video series that's coming out soon. Um, this is actually going to be the shoot of video three, which I'm excited for. But anyway, in the meantime, Wednesday's rolling around as always, so I'm shooting the vlog for you. So I've been thinking about um, this quote. It's my favorite quote these days. I say it all the time. If you're a bright lifer, you've heard me say this on the accountability call a lot lately and, you know, on the coaching call and stuff. It's a quote by Carl Jung. And uh, I think originally he wrote it and it was like, you know, in two different sentences he said this. But the, the quote is essentially, the paradox is our most valuable spiritual possession. Only the paradox comes anywhere close to comprehending the fullness of life. And I just, I love that quote. It's coming up for me all the time in my journey because I'm just, I'm, I find that the older I get, the more um, willing I am to sit in the bothness of things, right? That something can be this and that at the same time, even if they're completely contradictory perspectives. Um, and I'm, I'm, I think, you know, the, the technical term for it is dialectical thinking, whatever that, that phrase doesn't really mean anything to me, but there is an old parable that I love that I heard a long time ago and I've probably embellished it or changed it or whatever, but, um, you know, it, it goes something like this. In ancient, ancient China, there was an old man and he only loved two things in his world his son and his horse, all that mattered to him. Everybody knew it in the village. And one day his horse ran away. And after some time had passed and it was clear that his horse was really gone, the wise elders of the tribe went to his hut and knocked on the door to express their condolences. And they said, we're so sorry that this tragedy has befallen you. And the old man stared at them and said, how do you know this was a tragedy? And slammed the door in their face. And they were like, okay, he's worse off than we thought. So some weeks pass and suddenly one afternoon there's a rumbling on the horizon and the villagers look up and there's a stampede of wild Mustang horses led by this man's horse rolling into the village and this man's horse like I guess made friends and like all of a sudden all these horses are coming into the village and the villagers are able to corral and trap and break and train these horses and all of a sudden for the next you know um, farming cycle they had all these extra horses to do all this work and um, the elders came around to this old man and they said, they knocked on the door and he opened and they said, oh, now we see how that was not a huge tragedy. It was such a blessing. So we just want to let you know, congratulations. And isn't this wonderful? We're celebrating with you. And he looked at them and he said, how do you know this is something to celebrate? And he closed the door in their face. So now, you know, they're kind of used to this now. So they, they walk away going, okay, this guy's a little weird, but you know, whatever. So um, in training and breaking these horses, 
the man's son is really involved. He's really an equestrian and he's into it. And as he's training one of these wild horses um, for farming and stuff, he gets bucked off and trampled. And um, his legs become completely unusable, trampled, crippled, broken, shredded. And um, they are able to save his life, but they have to amputate his legs completely. So now the elders feel like they really get it and they knock on his door. I mean, everyone loved him, right, the son. And so with tears in their eyes, they say, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. And the man says, how do you know this is something to be sorry about? So a couple years pass and the man gets used to playing go and chess into the evenings with his son, who still has use of his arms. And one day, a group of soldiers can be seen marching over the hill and down into the village. And one by one, they go knock on all the doors. And they say the emperor has decreed that every able-bodied man between the ages of 10 and 65 must come with us right now to go build the Great Wall of China. And I'm sure they didn't call it that, but you know. And the man who's over that age and the boy who's not able-bodied get to stay at home together in the hut and keep playing Go and chess and drinking tea the end of their days. And this sort of cascade of events really moves the elders of the village and they have a powwow together. They discuss, uh, powwow is probably the wrong word, I think I'm mixing cultures. They discuss, they get together to discuss um, what would be best for their village because they can really see this man's wisdom. And they, they come to him finally with a formal proposal. They knock on his door and he opens the door and they say, you know, um, we think it would be a wonderful thing if you would be the head elder of our village. Clearly, you have a wisdom that's beyond any of us. And of course, he snarls at them and says, how do you know that would be such a good thing? So he slams the door in their face. But this parable of like, um, how do you know what's a good thing and not a good thing, right? And the idea that there's these paradoxes in life, that things are both and, and even if they're mutually contradictory perspectives, they can both be true. I think this idea really, um, if we look and watch, it shows up all over the place in our Bright Line Eating journey, like all over the place. I started to make a little list. I came up with a few myself. You can probably come up with more. But this idea that every single perspective or coin has a flip side, like every one. There is no side without a flip side, right? Can you get that? Like just physically, you can't have a side without a flip side. And um, so here's a few that I've thought of. Maybe if you think of more, put them in the comments. But um, so one of them is um, I was talking to someone the other day and I was, you know, when people want me to help them figure out their goal weight, I know the last vlog was about don't think about goal weight, think about goal body. But anyway, people still do want to know what their goal weight is. Um, and I often ask them, like, where do you carry your weight? 
you know, are you sort of proportional, like hourglass figure? Are you sort of pear-shaped? Are you sort of apple-shaped? And the reason I ask that is because if you carry more of your weight in the lower half of your body, like if you're if you have a decided pear shape, that lower body weight tends to be heavier. And so the normal formulas we would use for calculating goal weight, you know, I'm going to add 10 pounds to that if that's your shape, because leg muscles are heavy, even though they're lean, right? So anyway, I was talking with this woman and she's like, well, I, I'm proportional, right? Like when I gain or lose weight, it's completely proportional. And I said, lucky you. And she said, yeah, well, except it allowed me to gain a lot more weight than I realized I was gaining over the years because it came on proportionately and I carried it pretty well. And suddenly one day I woke up and I was obese and I hadn't even noticed that I was getting there. And I said, point taken. I can see the downside of gaining your weight proportionately and not really showing it. Yeah, you could kind of blink and suddenly be 50 pounds heavier and not really realize, right? So there's an interesting one. Like, what, is it a good thing to have a proportional hourglass figure or, do, you know, it has a downside too. So another one that doesn't turn out to be what we might think is um, the sort of interplay between um, the variety of what we eat and, and the enjoyment that we get out of our eating when we're on our bright line eating plan versus off our bright line eating plan. Like um, I would have thought 20 years ago, right? If you'd explained bright line eating to me and you know, doing it versus not, uh, I would have thought for sure that if someone wasn't doing bright line eating, they would eat, they would be able to eat way more food variety, right? Because they wouldn't be limited and unable to eat all the foods made out of sugar and flour and so forth. And that they would enjoy their food way more if they weren't doing bright line eating because, um, well, because they got to eat more of the enjoyable foods, right? So what I realized for myself a few years ago was that um, if I eat off plan, I often um, am believing a story that I'll get, you know, to broaden my variety and increase my enjoyment with food. And then when I'm actually there doing it and I've gone, you know, a little while down the path of eating off plan, I notice oh my goodness, it's actually the opposite. Like, I'm not enjoying the food at all. Like literally, if you asked me at the end of an eating session, how much enjoyment did you get out of the food that you just ate? When I eat my Brightline meal, like I just ate, you know, my Brightline meal and it was lunch, it was, you know, hummus and a whole bunch of vegetables and some olives and a big crispy apple and like, what was my enjoyment with that meal? Like eight out of 10, like eight and a half, nine. It was freaking delicious. It was yummy. It was so good. I mean, I'm over it now. It was neutral, right? But like it, was, it, it hit the spot, right? And after I've eaten, basically, you know, I'm a pretty heavy food addict. I'm a extremely heavy food addict. So when I'm eating off plan, my food world narrows. I can't really afford to eat anything that's not basically sugar or flour. There's basically no vitamins and minerals allowed in my mouth when I'm eating off plan because like I have to get a, as big a hit as I can off every single bite of food that I'm eating. So my food variety narrows dramatically. And if you actually survey me after a meal, I'd be like, 
how much did I enjoy all the food that I just ate? Like two, one, negative five. Like I didn't really enjoy that at all. It tasted like cardboard and, um, I, you know, I feel sick and like the enjoyment just wasn't there. Um, now, you know, if you're lower on the susceptibility scale, that might not be your experience. And sometimes I've had bites of food that have been pretty yummy off plan, but, but largely my variety narrows because I'm not eating fruits, vegetables, real foods at all anymore. I'm just eating junk food and it gets actually pretty narrow pretty quickly. Okay, now here's a good one. When people plan a break, like a planned exception, let's imagine like, okay, I'm going to a luncheon on Friday and I really wanna have a glass of red wine. I'm gonna count it as my fruit. I'm gonna commit it to my mastermind group. Um, I'm gonna text before and after to a buddy I'm gonna have a glass of red wine. It's gonna be part of the meal. I'm committing it, right? A planned exception. People do this sometimes in bright line eating and there are no bright line eating police and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. What's, what's really interesting the paradox, is the paradox of like, um, like the man in China. Like how do you know what's a good thing, right? One would think, well, it's a good thing if you have the glass of red wine, it counts as your fruit, you don't have any more, you're texting your buddy afterwards with the bookend, hashtag big fat win, you know, made it out of there, one glass of red wine just like I committed, right? One would think that would be the best outcome. So the paradox is like that is both simultaneously a good thing and very much not a good thing. So, um, I mean, obviously it seems like it would, it's a better thing than, oh my gosh, I drank the one glass of red wine and then I drank two more bottles and like ate five cakes and now I'm throwing up in the bathroom, right? That would be like a bad outcome. But like the, I drank the one glass of red wine and, and it went really well thing has its own, um, its own issues. Cause what happens then is like, what happens when the next luncheon rolls around? And now it's like, okay, now am I gonna plan another exception or not? And then it's like all week thinking about that and talking about that. And then the mental bandwidth that's given over to the NMD. And like, if you don't know, that stands for not my drink, which is what we call alcohol and bright line eating. And like, before you know it, you can create a life for yourself that even if the actual consumption of the NMD is managed at the event, the bandwidth and thinking and focus that's going into managing that, wondering about it, planning it, think, you know, can be so tremendous that over the next month or six months or whatever, you can sort of realize, oh my goodness, I'm so not free. Like I've created a brain that now is obsessing about the will I or won't I about the alcohol um, and the rest of my world is getting smaller and smaller because all I'm thinking about is basically, you know, am I planning an exception around alcohol for the next event or not? And did it go well? Did it not go well? Blah, 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 blah. And so from a bright light eating perspective, it's like, well, I don't know that it's such a good thing to get away with or succeed at a planned exception because you create a brain that's now trying to manage and navigate the planned exceptions, which is um, its own albatross. And for some of us, that albatross gets large and it squeezes tighter and tighter, right? So I coach a lot of people in Bright Line Eating who um, have become the slaves of their own successful planned exceptions, essentially. And now they've created saboteurs that have so much ammunition because they could whisper, 
you got away with it last time. You were really successful at that. Like you do really well getting back on track. You do the resume thing really well. So how about you just like, why don't we just, you know, oh, and navigating a saboteur that like is always at you for that is like not necessarily a good thing. So, um, those are three that I've thought of. I think in general, since this month, we're talking about Reboot Resume a lot and the, the Reboot Resume videos are about to come out. Um, I think in general, the beautiful um, interplay between the break and the breakthrough, you know, and how a break can feel like a really bad thing, but if it leads to the best and most beautiful breakthrough, was that such a bad thing? How do you know that was such a bad thing? So that's the weekly vlog and I'll see you next week.